Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter. I'm also a broker here at StoneX. I specialize in the grain and oil seed markets. Uh, other members on the team specialize in energy like uh, crude and diesel and natural gas. And in front of me here, we've got our livestock team. Uh, and then also throughout Chicago and Stonex, we have experts in fertilizer and interest rates and currencies and the like. If you have any questions for me and what I do, you can always give me a call at 312-706-7610. My email address is craig.turner at stonex.com. If you're a client, you can always reach out to me by my cell phone too. And all my contact information is in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at turners underscore take. Um, if you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review. And if you want to check out the free weekly newsletter, uh, you can just go to turnerstake.com. That'll redirect you to the StoneX website for the sign-up form. Of course, there's always Turner's Take Premium, which is in the StoneX, uh, StoneX store. That is free for clients, but it is a subscription for those who don't have an account with us or account with me at StoneX. So let's get into it. Um, I'm going to get on the macro markets first. So number one, we have had a rally in the stock market here. The inflation numbers that came out recently had core, I want to say CPI was 4% and core was closer to almost 3%. Um, and that really gave the stock market hope that the Fed may not raise rates going forward. You know, when the Fed raised rates, they had said in their meetings, they know it's going to be a lag between the increase of interest rates and inflation coming down, or should I say the rate of inflation coming down? Because um, anyone who's been to the supermarket or looked at housing or is trying to buy a car, sure, you've realized how much more expensive things are than where they were just two years ago. And while people say inflation is coming down, what they really mean is the rate of inflation is coming down. We're not in deflation. Prices certainly don't seem to be going anywhere close to where they were in 2021 or in 20, but uh, the rate in inflation is supposed to be coming down here. Now, what the Federal Reserve said when they started raising all these rates and they were asked on you know, how, how long will you keep them higher, their response was, you know, we got to keep them high to see the, and then hold for a while to see how the economy takes it and what happens with inflation because there is a lag and i think you know when we had almost zero percent interest rates and inflation was you know two percent or two and a half percent you basically have negative interest rates but if you can get the fed funds rate over the rate in inflation then you have real positive uh, interest rates so if the fed is at like five and a quarter five and a half percent and inflation is three percent the real interest rate 2.5 minus 3, 2.5%. And I think what the Fed wants is eventually a normal, a normal, basically wants the Fed funds to be the rate of inflation. I think that's where they really want to be. 
Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, great, you know, hopefully there will be interest rate declines, but I don't think it's going to happen right now. The Fed has been saying, we're going to keep these higher for longer. They want to see what's going on with the economy. Job market is okay. Economic growth is okay. Inflation, the rate of inflation is starting to come down to more acceptable levels. And because of that, we've seen money flow come into the stock market in a pretty big way. Like we had a pretty nice rally here in the S&P recently. And we may be hitting some resistance now because it's not like, you know, we're in a new bull bull market with all this economic growth. But I think what the market is starting to hope or price in is no more interest rate increases that maybe, you know, now that the Fed is seeing, you know, growth being okay, job market being okay, and inflation still kind of, the rate of inflation still decreasing to three or 4%. Maybe the Fed waits a couple months, see if inflation rate can get down to 2% again. Uh, energy prices are lower, so that may help it, uh, you know, help these things too. But that kind of explains the, the rally in the stock market. Still seeing layoffs. You still see high energy, you still see high prices for a lot of goods, and a lot of people aren't happy about that. And but that's a really a conversation for another time uh, of just about like you know what you know why we had inflation and you know, what led to it and, you know, what are, what's the likely, you know, is it, I mean, something that we were talking about in the past couple of years, you may, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, it was this inflationary transitory or is it structural? And for a while there, everyone thought it was be transitory because it was really just supply shocks and eventually prices come back down, but it was structural. It was structural in a big way. Um, and, you know, just take a look at my grocery bill, right? It's, it, it, it really is. It, I hate hate to say it, but it really seems like it's it's going to be high here. You know why? Um, one labor costs. We just don't have as many workers um, as we do, and the population. You know the baby boomers are retiring, and you don't have the workforce to fill in for them, and labor costs increasing. You know, that is definitely part of this. The you know the printing of money and all the stimulus that came into the market is part of it too. Uh, our energy policy does not help. You know, with the rising, you know, with, with higher energy costs. So higher labor costs, higher energy costs, all the stimulus and money that has been printed, you know, during COVID, you had all this up. Um, also to housing, housing is more expensive. I mean, the thing is you can't make more housing in the city centers and, and quite honestly, also, you know, a lot of the surrounding suburbs, you know, I live in the suburbs of Chicago. There's no place to build, right? There's no place. To, and I live, 25 miles outside of Chicago. I don't, I can drive around my neighborhood in my town and I can't find an empty lot, right? So you have to almost go out into, not past the suburbs, almost into the country in Chicagoland. I mean, we're talking 45 minutes outside of the city, maybe even an hour to start finding farmland you can build on. Um, and we'll get to farmland and acres at some point here. But anyways, it's, um, it's kind of a little bit of a mess, but what what I will say is the stock market, there is confidence in the stock market. And I think, you know, also this drop in uh, in energy, you know, has, has been good for the stock market too. Now, with that as a segue into the energy market, what's going on with crude oil? Before, let's see, a couple of months ago, we were, I would say back in first half of this year, crude oil was a mid 60 to mid 70 
market for a while. And then we did have pickup demand in the summer, and we we did start to see demand outstrip growth, and the SPR was getting very low, and we did get eventually up to 90. High prices and you know, high prices and inflation have hurt demand. I mean, that's def- you can definitely see that in the reports. And crude oil has now come back down. The last time I looked at the crude oil reports, it looked like U.S. supply is increasing. Meanwhile, Chinese demand has been decreasing. And I think that is the latest reason why we're seeing that fall in crude oil. Now, once we get into the low 70s, you see... OPEC starting rallying people's cages about how they have to tighten production. We'll see if they do that again. I would think we would see the administration try to fill up the SPR and get more aggressive with that. You would hope so, especially if prices go into the 60s. Because if you get, I mean, if you do get eventually get some kind of economic boom, now crude is probably over 100 at some point, right, without any kind of exploration. And even you know, even with the alternative energy, I mean, right now the world isn't growing. But uh, if we should have some substantial economic growth in the United States or in Asia or just globally, um, energy prices would go would go high again. So I would think the I would think it'd be in the best interest for the U.S. to start buying back on the SPR here, especially if we get into the 60s. I would hope so, anyways. Um, and you know, natural gas, it has been warm, seasonably warm. I must say it's in you know, we're here we are in the middle of November. It's been like fifties and sixties in Chicago. And you know, with maybe a couple of cold spells, it's been the Midwest has been pretty decent on the weather, and you can see that reflected in the natural gas prices. So energy energy costs are coming down, and that's usually good for the economy and growth too, which certainly helps uh, helps helps the stock market. Um, and indices, not just here in the United States, but you know any kind of country that's uh, experienced the positive benefits of that. So that's kind of where we are on the macro front and the energy prices. I think at some point energy prices move higher, but uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be here, or maybe not for the for the rest of the year. I wouldn't mind. I do think this dip is an opportunity to get into some of the summer months for 2024. Eventually, we will rally. I mean, the way the Fed is talking and the way economic cycles go, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some economic growth come back in mid-2024, right when driving season is starting up. But um, we'll see. Anyways, I kind of like buying. I, I, I think there's some very interesting option spread opportunities in the summer months of 2004 for crude oil. And if you're a client, um, I will be putting that out in Turner's Take Premium, and you can always shoot me a text or give me a call and talk about it. Um, and not just, and you know, honestly, not just options, futures too, future spreads too. I've got some interesting thoughts on that also. Okay, so we've gone through the macro side of things. We've gone through the energy side of things. The next thing I want to kind of talk about here is the grain markets. So couple of things. I was looking at all the balance sheets. I had an opportunity to be up in Canada last week with our uh, no-risk team. It's basically our, our brokerage unit in in Western Canada. Uh, I got to speak at some of their events and you meet some of the StoneX, uh, StoneX clients up there. It was primarily centered around canola and spring wheat. And then obviously, as 
majority of my business and I deal with uh, United States agriculture and farmers. Um, you know, that's mostly corn, soybeans, winter wheat, some spring wheat, a little bit of canola, but uh, those are the major crops uh, of North America. And here's the deal. I'm gonna start off with oil seeds and then we'll talk about the grain markets. When it comes to oil seeds, soybeans are tight right now. And South American weather is certainly helping the soybean market rally. What's interesting about South America and Brazil is they Brazil does have beans to sell and their balance sheets aren't as tight as uh, as you know as the United States. But if they lose production here, it could be a pretty big Now we have some very strong resistance areas for old crop around 14 and new crop around 13. For canola, which has been pretty much a follower here because they've been having some issues with their export business, you know, canola has been hitting this resistance for old crop at about 720 a ton Canadian, I'm sorry, 730 a ton Canadian, the old crop and 720 a ton on the new crop. That is also an inverted market, but not as inverted as soybeans are. What what is interesting there is one, like the United States has been a little disappointed with export demand. Well, canola has been very disappointed with their export demand. They're on pace to maybe export four or five million metric tons, and it really needs to be eight million metric tons. Um, otherwise, they're going to you know balloon on their carryout. Meanwhile, in the soybean market. Um, you know, we get very tight here. So if we, if South America has issues and we get very tight here, I, I can see spillover demand in the canola market because um, canola meal can be substituted, right? Soybean meal can be substituted for canola meal. I mean, in some industries, canola meal is preferred, especially the dairy markets. Um, and on the vegetable oil side, you can substitute soybean oil for canola oil for many, many things, including renewable biofuels. But same thing with vegetable oil for human consumption. They, they're they very much interchangeable. So I am bullish on beans, but you know I think if we do get this drought in South America, I would not be surprised if Canada ends up picking up export demand out of it and could certainly be a substitute. So kind of keep an eye on that spread between, uh, between canola and canola and soybeans. For the moment, I'm still a bull on vegetable oil. And I still like the renewable biofuel story. Um, when soybean meal gets close to 500, historically, that is a major resistance level. It's hard to sustain those levels. Um, and with the, with so, for soybeans to break out an old crop, it's got to continue to stay hot and dry. Um, when it comes to um, by the way, I'm going to bring up my spreadsheet here. When I take a look at soybeans for for this year and then next year, this current crop marketing year, so that means 2023 spring planted acres, soybeans were 83.6, pretty low. Uh, the yield was almost 50, just a little bit under, and we have an ending stocks at 242. Now for corn, we had what 94 and change on 94.9 on the acres, based on where prices are now. Yeah, soybeans 13, or a little bit above 13, a little bit below 13. Corn around five. Does that encourage soybean acres over corn? 
based on the conversations I have, not really. There are some farmers that that I've talked to that are fairly leveraged. Um, and, you know, maybe some of those guys, the, you know, they've been saying maybe the banks will want them to do more soybeans, keep the input costs low. But that's that's only been a couple of conversations I've had. I mean, for the majority, $13 beans, $5 corn, people are just still want to plant as much corn as they did last year. The reason why I bring this up, even if it switched a little bit into beans, you know, is it going to be three or four million corn? You know, corn comes down three or four million and beans go up three or four million because basically if soybean acres are 85 million and we have a trend line yield of 52 carryouts like 350 we're still under 10 percent stocks usage but if we're as high as like 89 million acres in soybeans which is roughly a gain of 5 million acres we're at about a 500 you know carry out if we go to 87 million acres which is a gain of 4 million, we're about a 450 carryout. This is assuming trend line yields and, you know, a fairly decent crop out of South America, which I know is still in the cards. I mean, it's still not, no guarantees whatsoever on that front. But so soybeans next year just seem a whole lot. Soybeans for 2000, the 2024-25 marketing year do seem bearish. But it's, we, but it, we need these acres, right? If we're at 84 million acres again, things are tight. But corn at 94 million acres again year over year, it puts our, puts our carry out at over 3 billion. I mean, honestly, in my number, I mean, if you even use a 182 trend line yield, which I realize is high, and some people may not you know, think that's unrealistic. That's fine. The USDA is still going to publish that number or something very close to it. All of a sudden, ending stocks are three and a half billion. So, you know, if we had the same acres year over year, like 83 million in change, I'll just call it 84 million in soybeans and 94 million in corn, it implies like a 3.5 billion carryout in corn, and yet, and yet, soybeans are like only 300, right? So the market, you know, in my mind, 3.5 billion carryout in corn is sub four dollars or it used to, i mean honestly it used to be three dollars and that maybe now you know maybe it's now four high threes if we, that should ever happen and we keep soybeans way up top still at a 300 carryout and you get south american tightness and argentina tightness and um so the market shouldn't be priced that way the way the market should be priced is that we need to get more corn acres into soybeans right and that's not happening now so in my mind some, that spread's got to widen. Soybeans to corn price ratio and new crops only two point not only is two point five. Um, you know historically it's two point three two point four trades in between two point three and two point four when the market is more in equilibrium. Two point five is showing a little bit of favoritism to soybeans. Probably not enough. I almost think you got to be two point seven two point eight in order to. You're getting closer to three in order to make sure you get the acres switched over from corn into soybeans. I don't think the market's pricing that in yet. Maybe they're waiting to maybe we'll maybe it will if soybean production in Brazil comes down five or ten percent. Maybe that's when we'll see it. But I just got a feeling here. And I don't know if that means corn comes down, soybeans go up, they both go up, but soybeans go to the moon and drags corn with it, or you what that means, but um, 
I would think, I really would think that spread starts to widen. Um, if I'm a farmer, I'd be concerned about, I'd be concerned about these 24 corn. If we have anything over 90 million acres and a trend, anything close to a trend line yield, um, that's hot. That's like a 2.8, 2.9, maybe even a 3 billion carryout. To me, that doesn't translate to $5 corn. So I'd be looking at either, you know, at StoneX here, we have our farmer direct program. You can sell your bushels directly through me, like an HTA, even use part of that. You know, you can even use your bushels as collateral for a covered call to maybe bring in more, bring in a higher sales price. You don't need margin on something like that because it is part of our cash program. Um, we can do things in the futures and options market that's marginable, but it'll cost you less in terms of a uh, financing. Um, and then, because you're putting up the money and not the and not the bank, but and, you know, buying puts and selling calls. I I just think that there's a, uh, and I trust me on this one. My business and your business and Stonex business all do better when corn rallies on the on the agricultural side, but. Uh, I just, it, that's a hard argument to make right now, unless we get, unless you get some serious weather issues and how many times can you have serious weather issues every year in a row? We'll see. South America's, the thing with South America is we'll get it. We're definitely getting a weather rally. We're always due for some kind of weather rally. We're getting it now. And really what remains to be seen is how much damage does it really do um, while the market kind of prices this in. And we've certainly seen big spikes and then come back down. So that's the, you know, as far as soybeans go, I mean, if I wanted to, if I'm an economist at the USDA, we're just an economist going through an exercise with, you know, let's say uh, an ag finance or an ag, ag economics class. And my assignment was, hey, at what, you know, at what given trend line yields, at what acres do corn, soybeans and wheat you know, perfectly aligned into adequate stock levels, right? As if someone had like the, it was the puppet master, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's this equilibrium for supply and demand for, you know, with respect to acres for corn, soybeans, and wheat. When you go through that, I mean, really the argument is like 89 million acres, soybeans, probably 89 million acres corn and 52 million acres wheat and i just don't see that i because the market's not pricing it out that way and if it were by the way if it were wheat would go back to 45 percent stock to usage um with a trend line yield soybeans would go to a 13 percent stock to usage with a trend line yield corn would go to like an 18 percent stock to usage with a trend line yield and then all of a sudden, corn's four dollars, wheat six dollars, all wheat. Um, when you add Chicago and and Minneapolis and Kansas City, take them all together, and soybeans are like ten, and then you know canola would be five fifty, six hundred, which is bearish. It's a bearish view of the market, but uh, but the way when you divvy up the acres that way, and if you get a trend line yield, you, the way to kind of get higher prices would be through demand and there is demand coming and eventually we'll get more growth in in the world and in the united states and at that point energy prices go up and let's not forget you know renewable biodiesel and soybean oil and canola oil are here to say and that that capacity is just gonna 
just going to increase, but um, you know, to what extent? So if I'm looking at, if I'm a farmer, I'm probably concerned most about corn and then, then wheat a little bit. Soybeans, I'm not, a, I'm not very concerned because we are going to be, we are going to be tight here for a while. Uh, from a spec side, you almost have to think that soybeans need to gain um, over uh, over corn here. So, anyways, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm seeing things as far as specific price ranges and examples and forecasting. I'll get to that in uh, Turner's Take uh, Premium and in our client webinar. Um, kind of just think of where you know where things will be going, but uh, for now that's where we are. I I do think some of the spreads in some of the future spreads in the grain and oil seeds are going to be interesting, and uh, and we'll be talking more about that too. So I appreciate everyone listening. Um, I hope everyone had a good week. If you have any questions for me, uh, my number is 312-706-7610. You can email me at craig.turner at stonex.com. Follow me on Twitter at turners underscore take. All information is also in the show notes. So thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you all next week. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.